Good morning. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish Jewish town of Arimathea. Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. All right, good morning. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. We were just on the Sermon on the Mount, and now he's dead. What happened? Um, we're, t- we're taking a week and talking about baptism, and I think this is an important passage for that, okay? And... Um, and uh, so, yeah, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going we're to talk about a few things, actually. We're going to talk about ritual and closure and archaeology and psychology, right? They all kind of, of course, go together. Um, and we're going to talk about funerals and weddings. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, I've taught on baptism like eight or nine, ten times even um, over the years. And I think last week I, I did three weeks in a row on baptism. Uh, it's an important ritual. Um, and so today I'm, I'm not, probably not going to go too long, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to sort of um, try to paint a picture for you of something that, that I think every Christian should at some point take part in. Um, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about these things, and, uh, and then we're going to take communion, and then we're going to worship, and uh, I'm going to send you off with some things to think about and ponder. Uh, so shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Uh, we come to you, and uh, we ask for guidance. We ask for wisdom and understanding. Um, I ask that right now you would help us to be present here um, at peace with this moment, with our Father in heaven, um, affirming the, the gift of life and the gift of friendship and the gift of community, um, the gift of uh, the, the clothes on our back and the, the food we ate this morning and, and the breath in our lungs. It's all a gift. We affirm that and we receive it. And we ask um, if you would grace us with one more gift, which is understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Um, reveal some things to us that we need to see. Communicate through me. Allow me to uh, adequately and accurately relay um, the things you've laid upon, upon my heart and the things I've studied this week. Thank you for this place. It's a good place. Thank you for the, the diverse... Um, mindset of the people in this room. I ask that in this moment you would make us one, give us unity, that you would put us on, uh, on the same goal, um, and that you would reveal to us what you want to. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Okay, so um, I'm as, most of you in this room are Christians, I'm assuming. Um, otherwise, I don't know why you got up on a Sunday and came to church. Um, but Christians are really good at rituals, we have lots of rituals. All of our rituals 
um, center around um, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, um, the life of Jesus in general. We have all kinds of rituals that center around um, a person, this first century rabbi from Nazareth in the Middle East. And the reason we have all of these rituals that center around this one person is because we desire for our lives to become like this person. We want to emulate this person in our decision-making, in our daily rhythm of our life, in our yearly rhythm of our life, in the way we treat other people, in our relationships, in, in how we handle the physical, tangible things that come into our lives, um, how we think about people, how we speak to people and treat them. We want our lives to look like the life of Christ. And so we have these regular rituals that we, that we bring into our life that emulate individual moments in the life of Jesus. Um, and we have an entire liturgical calendar year that follows this thing. And depending on which um, sort of Christian tradition you grew up in, uh, you're going to have different rituals that you kind of focus on. One of the rituals that we all focus on uh, is obviously Christmas, right? Uh, it's, it's the incarnation. It's God in the flesh. Um, I haven't said it for a while. Incarnation. Carne is the, literally the word for meat. You ever had chili con carne? It's chili with meat. Incarnation is God with meat. That's what that is. It's God in the flesh. In a, have you ever heard that? That's a real thing. It's God in the flesh. Um, and, uh, and so maybe if you grew up like, um, I think, um, Greek Orthodox, they're, they're, they're really into focusing on like incarnation. Um, a lot of Orthodox branches of the faith really into, into the incarnation, really into focusing on God entering into this world. And so they really focus um, a lot on, on the, the birth of Jesus. And, and we all do collectively. We've taken, we've turned it into this weird holiday that looks probably nothing like how early Christians celebrated the birth of Christ. But anyways, we gather together as families and we, we give gifts to each other um, because Jesus was a gift. And, and there were gifts there, and life is a gift, and, and it's God entering into a place in the flesh, and it's a reminder that we um, are to bring God into these places in the flesh. We are the body of Christ. The only body God has in this world is us. We are the body of Christ, and so we incarnationally live. Okay, so there's all this meaning in that. Christ, uh, Christmas is the ritual by which we celebrate that. And then there's obviously, um, depending on which, again, Christian tradition you grew up in, there's the, there's the, the crucifixion is, is celebrated by the Holy Week. And Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And um, there's all these sort of mini sort of, the Jewish people will call them festivals. And like just uh, meaningful rituals in the midst of this week where we're remembering the death of Christ. Pouring himself out for the healing of the world. And in this we remember and, and recognize how healing is brought into the world. Healing and salvation. And then there's obviously the resurrection. We do this on, we celebrate this on Easter. We put on like floral ties and dresses and a lot of like white shoes and stuff. I don't per se. A lot of people do. And we give each other candy for whatever reason. Um, and <laughs> Easter bunny, never got that. Actually, I do. It's kind of a pagan thing that goes way back. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's these rituals that we have to remember these things. Resurrection is a symbol of hope that dead things can be brought back, can be made whole again. And we believe this. Um, but there's one thing, there's like a space here that we leave out that we don't talk about, uh, which is obviously the burial, burial, the burial of Christ, laid in a tomb for three days. The passage we just read talks about 
something that happened. For three days, like the world had this Messiah bringing good news, message of a kingdom, and then it ended. Jesus was laid to rest in a tomb. Um, People who loved Jesus came, showed up, took his body, um, wrapped him in a burial shroud. There were spices, there was linen, there was a, a ritual. And they performed this ritual of the burial of Jesus and put him in the tube and rolled the stone. And there's all this other stuff too you can read about in the Gospels. But there was, a, there was a moment, there was an act, there was a ritual whereby they laid this man to rest. And what they were laying to rest was not just Jesus, it was this picture of the world. The kingdom of God was coming. They had put their faith in this thing. And so it's not just that idea, but it's, it's everything before the cross. Uh, N.T. Wright writes in his, in his, in his latest book, uh, the, res- uh, what was it? Uh, the, the, the Day the Revolution Began, he talks about how the day before the cross, the world was one way. The day after the cross, the world was a totally different way. Something happened there. And so there's this separation, and the burial is like the marker that separates all of this. Um, even Paul is, and, and other apostles are regularly talking about the burial of Christ as if it has deep significance. It's part of the good news, the burial of Jesus. It's not just the cross. It's not just the resurrection. The burial is good news as well because it, it, it speaks of endings. And that space between the old life and the new, the old ways and the new hope, Right? Um, And so Paul writes in Romans 6, and he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that we too might walk in newness of life. Paul connects baptism to the burial of Jesus. And when Paul talks about the burial of Christ, he brings up, and this is why we baptize each other. This is why we get baptized. Because it is this reminder um, that for new things to begin, old things must be put away. And so it's not just something they would mentally ascend to and say, he died, but he rose. No, he died, he was buried. It's even in the Nicene Creed. He died, he was buried. There was a, a moment when that was put away, and then he rose. There's this new thing. All of this is incredibly symbolic, and there is a ritual in baptism um, that if it's not taken advantage of, if it's not exercised properly, um, it can sometimes feel like there there was no separation between who you were and who you are, that there's just sort of this continual, that you're still that person. Um, and psychologically, this does a lot to you, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. First, um, first, we're going to go to an ancient place that was discovered in 1930 called Dura Europas. Talked about this one before. This is one of the most fascinating things to me. Um, so in this ancient city, about the year 200, there was a group of Christians... Uh, that would gather in this space, this, someone had turned their house into a church. Um, here's a recreation of it that you can now go view uh, in museums over there. Um, and this recreation of the room is made from fragments of all of this that we have found and pieced back together. Archaeology is fascinating work, the, the way that they find stuff and the way that they like, lay it all out and say, this is exactly what this was and how it happened. Um, so what we have here is like sort of this is a place... So you have steps all the way around like an ancient synagogue where people would sit on the edges and some would sit in the middle. And there's a space where the speaker, um, like we do today with church, like right now it's happening. Somebody's on a stage and they're talking, right? Um, and this is what would happen. Somebody would teach what they heard. It would be sort of an ordained minister um, who learned from their church fathers 
um, who learned from the apostles, who learned from Jesus. So at some point, the disciple John ordains Polycarp, and Polycarp ordains Clement of Rome, I forget, um, and then their pastor. So this is about the year 200, about, two, the, about the year 200. So um, think about what this means for how close they are. They're, they're within um, 170 years of Christ. So, this is a hundred years at least before the Nicene Creed is put together. Uh, so, before the Nicene Creed, these people are here worshiping. Um, before all this deep church theology is fleshed out, like ideas of like the Trinity, before it's all like written down and like fleshed out, like here's what this is. These people with these faint understandings of Jesus are here worshiping. And it, it's all, there's this, like, all this, these pictures to like tell them, here's who God is. Okay, um, and in the middle here, there's this basin. Now imagine some of these people; um, their grandparents probably met and heard the apostles teach, or they received a letter from the apostles. Their great grandparents may have even sat on the lap of Jesus as a child. This is how close we are. Um, and so these people, um, what we know about them is, every year at, they did this at Easter. At Easter, they would come. And um, there would be a basin here, um, and they would climb into the basin, and up, up, up underneath the roof of the basin, there, it was blue and painted with stars, and they would be baptized there. Um, they would kind of kneel, and water be poured, and they would sort of get down under the water. It's very, very small. Um, but they would basically, they would walk in with whatever clothes they were wearing, they would take them all off, and they would get naked into the basin, and they would be baptized there. All around them are all these pictures of reminders of what all of this means. And so let's work through some of these. Um, right above the baptismal is this picture. Um, you can sort of see a sheep head, and you see a guy sort of carrying it. Um, very, like, ancient. This is the actual fragment that they found. Um, so this is a, a, a sort of a crude image of the good shepherd. Because the people being baptized are going to remember, like, there's, you're not alone in this. We have a shepherd who is guiding us who will give you what you need when you need it, who will guide you by peaceful streams, still waters, and all that. Um, and then to the left on the baptismal, to the left of it, is this picture. You can see um, this is Jesus up here. This is a man carrying his bed. And this is that same man in his bed, sick. So we have, it's the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Um, because in baptism, there's always also the reminder that um, there is healing. Broken things can be mended. And made whole again. Um, to the right of the baptismal, there is this a little more detailed picture of two women approaching the empty tomb. Um, because in baptism, there is reminder that things that are just dead and gone and useless can be brought back to life, can be made whole again. We believe in resurrection. Um, it it is. The, the ground upon which all of Christianity rests is that we believe, we don't abandon people, we don't throw them away, things can be made whole, people can, people can find life again, and we indeed will find life again. It's all, it's this all-encompassing picture. Um, and then there's these other pictures lying around, um, around the area. There is, um, so you have a boat back here with some guys in it, and you have this guy walking on the water, Right? And you have Jesus over here walking on the water. This is obviously Peter walking on the water because Peter is known as a guy with 
a little bit of faith. Um, he always struggled with pride. Um, all, through the, all through the Gospels, he's somebody who struggles with pride, struggles with understanding, and struggles with having faith. He even abandons Jesus at one point. And then suddenly, um, we have this story. Peter walking on the water. By the way, side note, um, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark was Peter's helper, his translator. What you're reading when you read the book of Mark is the Gospel of Peter. That's Peter's Gospel that he tells Mark and Mark writes it down. Which is interesting when you read it now with that in mind because the way Peter describes himself in his book is very lowly. Whereas he always struggled with pride in the book of Matthew and Luke. When, when Peter gives his gospel to Mark to be written down, he doesn't say, you're Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. None of that's in there. It's constant stories of like the failures of the disciples because they're always struggling with their faith, yet God uses them to do these huge things. Which is interesting then because then you go read the book of Matthew and Matthew was actually an apostle of Jesus, like a disciple of Jesus, and he's actually making the apostles look a little better. Like he's like, we weren't that bad, Peter. And he's like adding another thing. So they're like real people like having this conversation across time. It's incredible. Um, so this, this, this is there. And then, and then if you look around, around the room, you're also going to see like the story of the, the woman at, the, at the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Very hard to make out, but this is what this is. Um, because one of the messages of Jesus was, was that like, we're going to kick this door open. God's people, the door that holds God's people here and separates them from the world, we're going to kick it open and let the world in. Jesus is, is the continuation of Elijah and Elisha, who Elijah stands up and he warns the people, um, if you don't start being a blessing to all nations, if you don't start being the people God has set you up to be, um, the doors are going to be kicked open and the Gentiles are going to be let in to replace you. And then Jesus does this. And then Paul takes this message to the Roman church. Like, this is what this all is. The doors are kicked open. Everyone's welcome into the people of God. Um, and so 200 years, uh, the year 200, 107 years after Jesus, these people are gathered here, and they're telling these stories, and they're being baptized, and they're taking these steps in, in, in belief and, and, and faith that um, we have a part to play in this kingdom. Uh, I can no longer waste my life struggling with these little things that, that these other lords that are demanding me to bow down and worship. And they're just pushing these things out. They're saying, no more. I'm going to find a new identity. I'm, going to, I'm going to wear the identity that, that God has given me, the, the, the identity of, of child of God, of grace and mercy and love, beloved. And I'm going to stop chasing those other things. I'm going to change everything in the midst of this Christian community. Um, I'm going to leave this here for a second, and we're going to move on something else. There was, uh, in April 2011, there was a, um, an article in Psychology Today. I'm sure you all read it. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's called, oh wait, what is it called? It's called, um, oh, five, uh, four, sorry, four ways to find closure. Um, four ways to find closure from the past. Now, I, I love this article because I love the way they described, um, the ritual, because it's very much baptism. All right, here we go. Let's, let's work through it. Um, first off, first way, step to taking closure is take full responsibility for yourself. There's this confession. You name the things that have always held you back, and you said, this is, 
there's this thing that I've always been holding on to that has been holding me back that will not let me grow, will not let me move forward. And I'm naming it now. I'm proclaiming it to you guys. It's, it's this. It's an idol to me. It's my God. And I, I, I have not. Jesus is not on the throne in my life. This thing is. It's, it's naming it. The thing that has brought you, that has held you back and like kept you enchained. All right? Um, the second thing, grieve the lost. Because... Um, Change requires using all the parts of your brain, not just your logic and intellect. If you, can, if you can argue somebody into something, somebody else can just argue them out of it. There is this emotional connection that you have to change, um, to here's how I was. It was not meaningful and purposeful and life-giving and fulfilling. Here's the direction I'm going in, which is all of these things. Um, and there's this emotional sort of response in your heart. All of you is in this decision. Um, And the third one is gather strength. And and the article actually specifically points to people, community. We gather strength together in the church. When I am in need, I go to the church. When when you're in need, you should go to the church. Um, We lean on the strength of the church. And by proclaiming, this is who I was, I'm not going to be this person anymore. I'm going to be this person. In a communal setting... You're giving all of us the authority and the power to sort of drag you towards that person that you want to become. Like, we're in this with you. We're all one body. In the same way that you yourself are made up of many, many, many parts, billions and billions of molecules make you up. The church is made up of individual parts all come together. This is everywhere in, in the world, and it's in Scripture. God A triune God is a God who is a community. Things coming together to serve one purpose. Um, And the the fourth one is create a ritual. Rituals are important. Um, It's like burial. There's a moment when you affirm, this is the end of that. This is the space, the dividing line that separates that moment from this moment, that person from this person, the person that I was before who there was parts of my life who, who were not surrendered to the gospel, things that I struggled with, ways that I looked at the world, which I'm setting aside. And at this moment, this is a line of separation. That person is gone and I will now be this person. This is really important to do. If you don't have a ritual of some way, um, psychologically you are held back. Emotionally you're held back. Spiritually you're held back. Um, so there's this... Um, an acquaintance of mine um, told me he was invited to speak at a, um, at like a, a gathering of um, employees for this large company who basically, um, they had changed their logo. They had a terrible logo, like from the 80s, and they got a new logo, which was nice, and like, people liked it. It was like, tested, however, you know, you put it out there, the survey tested, and and I'm sure it had a nice, like, Helvetica font with, like, a sans serif. Like, it was calming, right? It brought serenity to the millennials, and people liked it. Um, and it was a nice, it was a much better logo. It was an improvement. Um, and so they got this new logo design. They paid for it. They put it on their website. put it on their letterhead. They put it on their, uh, on their sign on the building. They put it on the sign out front by the road. And it became their new logo on their business cards. And morale in the company plummeted. It just plummeted when they did this. Um, and so he, he told us this story, like, and the way he described it, he was like, he was like, it was like this depression fell over the people that worked in the company. 
And um, at, at some point, they started, like, losing money. It started affecting the income of the business. And so they bring, they bring him in, like, hey, here's what's going on. Um, we'd like to know if you can, like, be motivational, right? Speak to them, like, make them happy again, because we were doing great, and now we're not. And we like the new logo, though. What are we going to do? So he basically creates a ritual. He gathers them all together in one place, and he puts the old logo up on the wall, and he invites people to talk about the logo. And he says, hey, um, come tell your story. Here's a microphone. I'd like to hear about, like, your time working here over the years, what this company has meant to you, the blood, sweat, and tears you've put into it, all of that. And they do, and they tell their stories, and, and uh, it goes for a few hours, and they, you know, cry, and they laugh, and they remember people who worked there who, are, who moved on to better things or passed away. Um, they talk about how, you know, when they came there, they, you know, they were just single, and now they're like, they've got a family, full-grown kids who are in college. They've worked there for decades. And it was a really just great afternoon of, of just talking about this thing they've all built together. And when they were all done, when everyone had said their piece, he took the logo down, and he put the new logo up. And they just sat there and looked at it for a bit. And from that point on, everything was fixed. And that's it. It was this ritual of affirming what was, saying here's what it was. We affirm its importance. Even moving on to better things oftentimes involves grieving. It does. You have to connect with it. Um, Theologian and pastor uh, Frederick Buechner, uh, he wrote a book years ago um, called The Sacred Journey. And in this book, there's a moment where he writes about the death of his father when he was 11 years old, who, his father who killed himself. Um, and he says the family, um, they never had a funeral. And here's what he says about it. He says, there was no funeral because on both of my mother's and my father's side, there was no church connection of any kind, and funerals were simply not a part of the culture. He was buried in a cemetery in Brooklyn, and I have no idea who, if anybody, was present. I only know that my mother, brother, and I were not. There was no funeral to mark his death and put a period at the end of his sentence that had been his life. And then he goes on to talk about what this did to his life, that his father never really ended in his mind. There was never this gathering of people around him, 11-year-old Frederick Buchner, at the death of his father to say, your life was this. We recognize it. You had a father, and your life was one way. That life is gone. Now your life will be this way. And oftentimes, if you don't have that, this burial of what was, and this sense of speaking what is, the pain stays, the struggle will always be there. Um, The ritual is the mechanism by which we put away the old and we put on the new. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's more painful or more freeing, it is the ritual and it's important. Um, In the Christian community, baptism is that ritual. In the Christian community... This is what we do. Um, we, it starts with a gathering of community. We, we gather around the person being baptized. We affirm what is and was. And then there is a ritual, and we proclaim what now is. Death of the past, new life in Christ. Um, and it's a communal ritual. It's something... I don't baptize people... Um, like, one person, just me and them. I, I won't do it. It doesn't make sense. 
Um, if somebody ever calls, say, hey, I want to get baptized, meet me at the lake. I'm like, we're in Florida. I can't do that. <laughs> like, well, meet me at the pool. Okay, well, I still won't do that because I have a theological problem with it. Because baptism is a gift of the church. We are the body of Christ. And, and this ritual is all of us gathering together to give you the gift of death to the old, life to the new. The proclamation, the old is past, the new is here. Um, and proclaiming the name of Jesus over you. It's a really beautiful, incredibly important ritual. Um, and oftentimes, there's a lot more elements to it than that because um, there are people around you. If you're part of a church community, oftentimes you're fighting. You argue with people. We're human beings. We are a fallen world, right? Like We offend each other. Um, and sometimes the things you are carrying with you are offenses that you've dealt out to the people around you. Um, and in baptism... We put that person to death, and there is nothing but grace and forgiveness. And the person that comes up out of the water um, is received as a new person with a new name. And that name is child of God. That name is forgiven. That name is new creature. It's all of it. Um, That person is gone. Paul writes in Romans 6 as well. He says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So sin is not something a lot of people, word people like to use. I feel like they don't understand it. Um, Let's talk about it. Sin is this Greek word, hamartia. Everyone, hamartia. Okay. Um, Okay, so hamartia, sin, it's, um, there's like an archery word here. It means basically to miss the target, miss the mark. Um, It also refers to a failure. Like, this is what it looks like. To do it right, here's what you did, right? That's the picture of it. Here's what you were meant to be, but here's what you are. Sin is falling short. That's what it is. Um, And so, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, because it really is ruled by sin, we carry with us all the ways that we have failed. We carry with us in our hearts, in our minds, on our backs, all of the identities that we have picked up along the way from the mistakes that we have made, from the expectations people had of us that you couldn't live up to, um, from the parents whom you could never gain their approval, uh, from the people who have told you um, whatever it is that has pushed you down and oppressed you in some way. Um, We carry these things with us. And baptism is a funeral because you're, you're burying that, that person covered in all of that, that person a slave to all their failures. Uh, Paul says, we do this so that we should no longer be slaves to the sin. You're, you, you are not a slave to your failure. Part of the good news of the burial is that you are not a slave to the things that people have, the names people have proclaimed over you. Or... Um, the people who have told you, if you were this, then I would approve. The gospel frees us from all of that. Specifically, baptism, burial is the representation of that moment. Um, so baptism is, it is a funeral. There's actually, I believe it was Martin Luther King's um, pastor who, when he was baptizing people, would literally yell out loud. He would dunk in them and say, I kill you in the name of Jesus and pull them up out of the water, right? That's a representation of what's happening. It's very dramatic. Um, 
So it's a funeral. Baptism is a funeral, but also baptism is also a wedding because you're proclaiming. Um, there are ways in my life, failures, sins, ways that I have not been what I was meant to be, ways that I have not taken part in the kingdom of God, ways that I, places in my life that the gospel has not been able to touch, that I have kept from that, that I am now putting to death. Those things now I'm joining to the kingdom of God. I'm following Jesus. So there is this proclamation that like I'm in. All these ways that I, that I claimed to follow Jesus before really maybe were just this mental ascension. And in this moment, I'm in all of it, the rest of me. There has to be a change. There has to be this, this change in my life because I cannot keep going the way that I am. I need new life breathed into me. And we come to the church and we say, body of Christ, Jesus, you breathe life back into me. And we put our hands on you and we bury that person. And the person that we pull up is not the same person in our eyes, in God's eyes. And it should be in your own eyes. Um, Picture Jesus at the Jordan River. John is baptizing people and Jesus walks up and gets in the river. At what point did the voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased? Was it before the baptism? No, it was after. And so Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. Then God proclaims his identity. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Because that's what happens in baptism. You receive that new name. It's not that you weren't before. It's just that maybe you didn't receive it. This is us proclaiming it in a community of people. Um, Rachel Held Evans puts it like this. She says, where God calls the baptized beloved, the demons call her addict, slut, sinner, failure, fat, worthless, fake, or screw up. These are all the things that maybe you have heard and you have carried or very similar things. Um, and in baptism, you are declared, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There is this proclamation that you are not the things that they have said you are. They are not, you are not the things that they have made you feel that you are. You are not the things that you have heard about yourself. Um, where God calls her child, the demons beckon with rich, powerful, pretty, important, religious, esteemed, accomplished, right. Someone is always telling you, um, if you will become this, then you can earn love and approval. A lot of churches will tell you this, that if you can learn to behave and live up to this moral equivalence of whatever, then, and only then, once you're obeying all these moral laws, will you earn the approval of God. That is a lie. It's, it's a misrepresentation of the message of Christ. In baptism, you are reminded and you receive and accept, I am, I am not those things. I am this thing. And we as a community gather around you and we affirm you are not those things. You are this thing. This thing is beautiful and meaningful. It's a well of life to drink out of. And so the world is always telling you, if you do this, you'll receive this identity. That Those are false gods. Those are idols. Jesus simply wants you to wash that away and receive what he has. Um. And so if we take that word hamartia, sin, failure, missing the mark, and we reread Romans chapter 6, verse, five, uh, verse 4, we see this, so that, by, by, so that the body ruled by failures and actions that miss the mark might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to them. Um, we've baptized a lot, of, a lot of people over the years for all different reasons. Um, some people came to faith in Christ um, and wanted to proclaim it publicly, a public profession of faith through baptism. We affirm that. Welcome to the waters. Be baptized. We will proclaim this with you. And there are others who, um, there was a few couples that were getting married, and they decided to, as a couple, get baptized because um, they're starting this whole new thing in their life, and maybe their focus has not been where it should be. And this, they want this thing to be, to be born into this kingdom. And they want to be part of this. Um, and so we baptized them before their wedding. Um, there are others who um, were getting sober. And they said, I, I can't do this on my own. Have you ever tried to do something on your own without telling anybody? You ever try to kick a habit without telling anybody you're doing that? You ever try to say, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go on this really strict diet. I'm going to lose weight. Or, I mean, you can't go vegan without telling anybody. That's impossible. Um, <laughs> I'm going to work out. I'm going to. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to drink less. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to start getting up early every day. And you don't tell anybody. How did that go? It doesn't work. We are one. We are the body of Christ. We are here to, right, drag you towards your sanctification. We're going to help you out. We're going to be a part of this growth. We should be here discipling each other, one another, pushing each other forward. And so we've baptized several people last year that were getting clean we're here. We're going to help you into this new life. Welcome this part of your life to the kingdom of God. You, you've always held it back, and we're going to make it front and center, and we're going to drag it forward. Um, we've baptized people who have deconstructed their faith down to nothing and, 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 and have been rebuilding and come into this new understanding of Jesus and say, I need to be baptized because this is all sort of fresh and new again. Um, it's a gift of the church. Putting the past to death under the cross. Breathing new life into this thing. And it's a gift that we want to give you. Um, some of you know this is a point in your life where you need to be baptized. I, I want to extend that invitation to you. Um, we want to give you that gift of baptism. And we want to commit to being here for this new journey. Um, we want to speak life and the words of Jesus into you again. If you'd like to be baptized, we're doing a service in two weeks. Um, and you can just email me, tommy at watermarktampa.com, or you can respond on the city, or you can just um, email administrator at watermarktampa. Just get a hold of us somehow and say, I'd like to be baptized. Um, and just let us know, 9 a.m. or the 11 a.m. service. Um, and we want to be there and celebrate with you. We want to, we want to, with you, Put aside this old person. Welcome this new person. It's beautiful. The floor gets all wet. There's hugs. People cry. It's lovely. You should be there. Um, and so in this moment, we're going we're gonna, to um, sort of end this with another ritual that we take every week, communion. So our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, I want you to ponder um, what God is calling you to. I want you to... Um, ponder who God is asking you to support in this new life and ask them, would you like to be baptized? I would, I would go with you and I'll support you and I'll be there when you come up out of the water. I will, I will hug you 
and we will stand there wet and cold in this room together celebrating a new life. And uh, our community servers are going to spread around the room. Um, there's two elements. There's bread, the body of Christ broken for you. There's, there's wine as the blood of Christ spilled for you. Um, and we gather, we spend a few moments, we contemplate the word of God, the sacrifice Jesus made for us, his suffering on the cross. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the wine, and we eat it. And we ask that God would take the gospel deep um, into our hearts to touch the places it has, it has not yet touched, that we have not let it touch. And we ask for renewal, for forgiveness. We ask for growth and direction and guidance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Continue to make this place a, a well of life. Continue to bring people um, who desire to be a part of a new kingdom, a new body. Grow us and shape us. I lift up those right now considering and pondering baptism. I ask that you would make it clear for them what you would like them to do. Give them strength and wisdom. Thank you for the way you poured yourself out for us. Help us to understand what it means to make these public professions of, of Jesus as Lord. Help us to see our, uh, our flaws. Help us to see our sins. Help us to learn to confess them, to rid ourselves of them. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.